It is good to be with you again this week, and it really uh, just crushes me to hear about Jake's brother. Uh, Jake and I have always been pretty close, maybe not as recent, not in recent years since he's moved away to North Carolina, but there was a time when Laurel Rice and some other people around the state used to refer to Jake. They would tell people, Jake was my little boy. And I never will forget uh, the first time Jake met Tyler, right after Tyler was discharged from the Marine Corps. Uh, Jake and Amanda were at our house. They lived down in Corinth, Kentucky at that time and uh, was pastoring there and, uh, or at Kings Mountain's the name of the little community. Corinth was the name of the church, Corinth Church of God. But anyway, they were there and I said, meet, meet, your, uh, meet your younger brother. And of course, Tyler's 6'2 and Jake's about 5'2. And uh, that was a pretty humorous looking uh, sight there, you know. And, uh, but uh, Jake's brother was severely injured in Afghanistan or Iraq. I believe it was Afghanistan by roadside bomb. And I don't remember if he'd lost one or both of his legs. Do you remember both of them? He'd lost both of his legs. And, and almost every time I talk to Jake on the phone, I always ask him how his brother is, is doing. And he's had his high times and his low times recovering from that and dealing with that. And it just really, really hurts me to hear today that he's taken his life. I heard a statistic just a week or two ago about how many veterans a week are committing suicide. And I think, if I, if I remember right, I believe it was 17 veterans a week that commit suicide. And... Uh, I just know in dealing with issues that Tyler has dealt with, if most of you know, my son was in Iraq, two tours of duty, and uh, was in five different Humvees that were uh, blown up by IEDs. Uh, they told him when he uh, was discharged and began his disability process, Tyler receives a fairly large disability from the, from the service due to his injuries. That uh, It was a miracle. They said they'd never interviewed anybody that ever survived more than two of those explosions, and Tyler survived five of those. And I just know the issues that he has dealt with and still deals with uh, from time to time. And, uh, and so it's understandable what some of these boys uh, have, have experienced. And those of you that were in Vietnam, and I don't know that we have any World War II vets left, and I don't think we have any Korean War veterans here now. I'm, we might have one or two uh, connected with the church, but I just know uh, what, what so many of you have gone through. And so our hearts go, go out to you today. It's good to see AC and Joyce here today. Uh, AC uh, has really had a time the last few weeks. He has been suffering with kidney stones. I heard some groans. Some of you have had those things too. Well, I tell you, I told AC today when I had mine in 1998, 1998, I was down here. We were pastoring in Alliance, Ohio, and I was just down here on a hunting trip. Ended up in King's Daughters. Couldn't pass it. They had to go in and, and remove the stone. And the, the doctor came in and talked to me that day. And he said, Mr. Jordan, I want to tell you that you have suffered the greatest pain that you will ever suffer in your life today. Now, he didn't need to tell me that twice because I already believed that. But this is exactly what he told me. And I kid you not. He said, you could suffer a major heart attack that would actually take your life. And you would not be in as much pain as you were in today. And I'm sure AC can probably verify that. So those things, are, those things are awful, but it's just good to see each one. I'm going to do something a little different today. I normally read from the King James Version, but I'm going to read from the, Ameri or the, the, the New American Standard Version today. And I've uh, informed Jessica about that. So as she puts some scriptures up for you today, uh, that's the version that I'm reading from. And the reason I'm doing that is that my primary text, the way it's worded, is just a little bit easier to understand uh, today uh, so that we don't miss the, the, the point that we want to make today. But I want us to, to uh, think about trials today, the trials of life that we go through. Uh, 
Obviously, Robbie and Tara went through a trial this morning not having any electricity. Boy, we're spoiled, aren't we? Hey, I'm the same way. You know, boy, if, you, if the water goes off or the power goes off, you're just almost in panic mode at times. It just depends on what's going on. And, and it's not too bad now with just Lynn and I. But boy, when you've got kids, that's tough. That's, that's really, really tough. And so uh, we're all well acquainted with trials. But I want us to think about today or talk about today three lessons that I think we can learn from our trials. If you would like to take your Bibles and turn with us, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 and 9. Then I'm going to come back and read verses 6 and 7 again because that's basically where we're going to take our thought from. But, but to put things in context, let's read, if we might, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And that passage of Scripture says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls." Let's go back and look at verses 6 and 7 again. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I wanted to read from the New American Standard Version today and the King James Version, unless you really, really read that closely and think that out, it's almost talking about that our trials are more precious than gold. And that's not what Peter is writing here. Our faith is more precious than gold. And the trials, if you will, is just a refining fire that's used to perfect our faith and help us to grow in our faith of Jesus Christ. Well, last week I shared with you the fact that... that uh, during this coming year that all of us would, would probably have to climb some hills in life and all of us would have to go through some valleys. Those things we know are inevitable to our lives. Some people's hills may be steeper than other people's hills and some people's valleys will be deeper and darker than other people's valleys. And we've lived long enough to realize that that's just life, isn't it? That's just, that's just life. That's just a part of it. It's, it's not always, a, as we talked about last week, it's not always a, a bed of roses. It's not, every day is just not always giddy and happy and cheerful. We have some difficult times, some, some really, really hard times from time to time thrown in on us in this thing we call life. You may also recall that I stated that I believe that we learn our greatest lessons about God and about our relationship with Him in those valleys experiences. In our text, Peter writes about the trials that test our faith as a faith that is more precious than gold. And as I said a moment ago, those trials are, are the refining fire that perfects our faith, that helps us to grow in our faith, that our, that our faith will be strong and vibrant 
a faith that God can use to His glory and to His honor. But in this sermon today, I want us to think about our trials. And I want us to realize the vital role that they play in our Christian experience because they really do play a very vital role in our Christian experience. I'm sure most of us are familiar with, with uh, Romans 8.28. I'm sure that mo- many of you have committed that to memory. And again, just to keep in with the New American Standard, I'll read it to you from that version. Most of you probably know it from the King James. But it says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. I heard my dad make a comment on that verse of Scripture one time many, many years ago. Of course, my dad's been dead uh, 26 years now. Uh, the, the 10th of, of this month, just a couple of days ago, was, was the 26th anniversary of my father's passing. But I, but I heard him refer to that Scripture one time, and he said, if we take that literally, that really means that there's no accidents in a Christian's life. You know, that God understands everything that's going on. He's in control. If we, if we put Him first in all things, then there's really no accidents in a Christian life. Well, if we really believe that, then, then how can God use our trials to our good? How can He take something that's so difficult for us and, and seems so uh, terrible to us at times? How can God take those experiences in our life and, and make something good come out of them? I'd like to to share with you this morning, if I might, just three things that I think God can, can uh, use our trials for and how He can use those trials to, to our good. The first thing that I would mention to you, and something we've already alluded to, is, is that our trials t- teach us to rely on God. The reality of it is, oftentimes, we don't really turn to God until we go through a trial. You know, when life is good, when, when everything's going, going well, you know, we're we're healthy, we're working, we're able to pay our bills, our kids are healthy, they're doing well in school, our, our relationship is, is good within the home, our relationship with, with those in the church and the places where we work are, are good, everything's going good, you know. It's easy sometimes to forget just exactly how important God is, but you let anything and any of that be disruptive, and we begin to realize how desperately we need the Lord. And it's in those times that we really begin to to turn our hearts toward God and we really begin to seek His face and we really begin to get into the Scriptures and and search the Scriptures, trying to find comfort, trying to find direction, trying to find help in those times of trials and trouble. I was lying in the bed there this morning. Brenlin spent the night with us and and she she pitched a fit. She wanted to stay all night with us last night and so she did and 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 she and and Lynn were in one bedroom and I had our bed to ourselves and and, and so I woke up this morning before they woke up and I was just lying there in the bed and, and thinking about this sermon, just kind of going over the three points that I wanted to make today. And, and my mind began to be flooded with, with different situations in, in mine and Lynn's lifetimes that, that where we've had problems and trials and troubles that we've had to deal with. Some of them for me individually, personally, some of, for us as a couple, some of us for, as a family when our children were still at home and And I just began to think about all the times that I was just near despair and and I was just so worried and so concerned and and yet I continued to maintain my faith in God. I continued to seek His face. I continued to look to Him for guidance and direction and and it was amazing uh, to me to look back after I've had the advantage of time and you know they say, uh, you know, hindsight is 20-20 vision to be able to look back in time and and see just how wonderfully God has, has worked things out. Just to give you one example, to tell you one story, I can remember when I left here in, on July the 20th, well, actually, our last Sunday with you folks was July the 13th in, in 1980. And uh, 
And that was the last time we were here as a lay person in the church. And on July the 20th, I assumed the pastorship of, of the church in Franklin Furnace. Now I had been their interim minister for about four months. Uh, but we actually came back on uh, that last Sunday, I guess it was, uh, to be here, at least on a Sunday night. And then the next Sunday, I started uh, there as, as the pastor. And I was full of vim and vigor. You know, I, I just you know, thought I was going to be able to go over there and preach and visit and work. And, and we was going to see everybody in, in Green Township saved and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and I went over there so excited and just... Uh, you know, had great expectations, and I would preach my heart out Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday nights, you know, and, and basically nothing was happening. I mean, people were coming, and, and the attendance was, you know, the attendance didn't drop off. It remained the, the same. As a matter of fact, we gained one or two here and there, but, but, but nothing was really happening. And it was so discouraging on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. I was used to being in Mead Station at that time, our Sunday uh, night crowd, you know, what didn't drop off a whole lot from the Sunday morning crowd. Now, I realize things have changed over the years. That was that way when I was here these last few years. Your pastor, you know, our Sunday night crowd, we wouldn't even have half of what we had on, on Sunday morning. But, but back in those days, it wasn't that noticeable. I mean, we still had great crowds on Sunday night and, and pretty good crowds on Wednesday night. And, but over there, we didn't have enough people to have a good rock fight on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I was just so discouraged about that. And I never will forget going talking to Brother Kitchen. And he was, you know, asking, well, how's things going? And I said, well, Brother Kitchen, I'm just really discouraged. And he said, well, what's, what's going on? What's wrong? And I told him just what I just said, you know, about our attendance. And, and I said, I can't understand why people don't, don't come back. Uh, I never will forget Erzy Lavender that was uh, one of the prominent people in the church there. And Erzy made a statement one time about... Uh, those that would just come on Sunday morning and never come back Sunday night and Wednesday night, he said, Brother Rob, I'm, I'm here every time the doors are open and I feel like I just barely got my nose out of the water uh, staying alive. He said, I would drown if I didn't have any more feeding than what some people get. You know, that was just Erzy's way of expressing it. And, and so Brother Kitchen tried to encourage me. And, and so time went on and, and after I'd been there about probably about two and a half years, I, I'd lost my job in the meantime working at the nickel plant. I was a bivocational Franklin Furnace and and I was over there one day during the day at the church. Nobody was there. And I never will forget, I, if, if we were over in that little church house today, I could take you, to the, take you right up to where I knelt there at the altar. I went up and knelt and, and, and I began to pray. And, uh, and I began to pour my heart out to God. And I was weeping uncontrollably. And I was telling the Lord, Lord, did I misunderstand your call upon my life? Did I misunderstand you know, your call for me to come to this place. And we hadn't seen anybody say for a long time. The lady, the young girl that was a senior in high school that had been playing our piano, she quit. We hadn't had a piano player for 14 months. So you can imagine what the service was like without any music. And, and I was just really pouring my heart out to God. And it was almost as if God spoke to me in an audible voice and he said, all I've asked you to do is to be faithful. And, and I had that sense come over me so overwhelmingly and, and I dried my tears up and, and I finished my prayer and I got up and, and I got to tell you, nothing happened. You know, nothing happened for a few weeks, nothing happened for a few months, but, but we had a revival scheduled and Jim Rainey was pastoring at Gallopolis, Ohio at that time and, and Brother Rainey came to, to hold a revival for us. And in that revival, now at that time, that church was averaging about 95 people in morning worship. And Brother Rainey came and held a revival for us, and we had 10 people saved in that revival. 
10 people saved. Over 10% of the number that we had were saved. Now, some of them were people that were coming there to the church, and some of them were people that others had invited to come into the church. I know one person had come as a guest of someone, and, and their family went to another church, and I never saw them in our worship again, but we had 10 people get saved that day. And I want to tell you, my friends, I was walking on the clouds at that point in time. And I realized that I had come so close to giving up. I had come so close to throwing the towel in and saying this was all a mistake. And yet God in that trial helped me to understand that there are times there's going to be, there's going to be times of plenty and there's going to be times of lean. And that's not just true in ministry, that's true in life. But we've got to be faithful through them all. But I want to tell you, I never prayed any harder or more fervently, and not just in that one prayer, but for weeks and for months, I kept praying and asking God in, in His own gracious, precious, wonderful time. I never will forget in that revival service that, that Brother Rainey said something that I'll never forget. He said, God's clock keeps perfect time. And I still remember that to this day. The second thing that I would mention to you today that we can learn from our trials is this. And that is, is that that our trials help us be more sympathetic, more tolerant, more patient with other people. Only after we have suffered can we truly understand the suffering of others. And only those who have sorrowed can understand those who are walking through the valley of sorrow. I, I, I think about Don and B. Pinkerton. Now I know Don has, has passed and gone on, and I know B. Is, is not able to get out very much. I got a birthday card from her this week. And, and they just shocked the socks off of me. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, she would remember that or even think about me. And she sent me a birthday card. And I was really blessed by that. I told Lynn, I said, that really blesses me. She didn't write anything in it, but she just had a, had a card. And, and it just made me feel good that she remembered me. Because we went, I went through a lot with that family. Their first daughter that died, Linda, died before I, I got, before I moved back here in 2003. But, but they lost two children while I was here as their pastor. And I oftentimes marveled at Don and B how faithful they were to come to church and knowing the heartache that they had gone through, knowing how they had agonized and suffered in the deaths of their, of their children. And I, I always admired them for that. I always admired them for their faith and for their dedication. Another couple I think about is Gary and Frankie Osmond. Now many of you remember Brother Osmond when he pastored uh, First Church in Ashland. And uh, they left there and took the South Meridian Church and in Anderson, Indiana, sometime in the late, later 1980s, mid-1980s. I can't remember when Brother Gary moved out there to take the church. But, but while they were there, they lost two of their beautiful daughters. They had four daughters. They lost two of their beautiful daughters. They lost uh, Jamie, their oldest daughter, and they lost Connie to automobile accidents. Within, I think it was like 14 months or something like that, maybe even less time than that, they lost two of their four girls. And then... To add to that, as they were getting ready to transition from pastoring in the South Meridian Church in Anderson, Indiana to go to the church in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, Brother Gary was out of town down there dealing with some issues, preparing to make that move, and Frankie was back home packing, literally packing boxes, and suffered a terrible brain aneurysm and was in the hospital for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, and of course, Gary rushed home to, to be with her and and, and Frankie today still suffers terribly from that brain aneurysm. Uh, you know, she's, she's crippled up and, and really uh, is uh, hindered and limited in what she can do physically even today. And, and yet, 
to talk to them. And I've, I've talked to them many times. Gary has preached for us in his church a number of times uh, and since then. And, and, and to be around them, their, their spirit is, is contagious, it's infectious. It, it's hard to believe that, that they've gone through all the heartache and suffering that they've gone through and, and yet to realize that they've done that and they've survived. I think about Jesus and I think about the suffering that he endured. I think about what's written about him in Isaiah chapter 53. Let me just read this to you very quickly if I might. It says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. Now Isaiah is writing about Christ. He's describing Christ to the T here. He said, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and, and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living and the transgression of my people at whom the stroke was due... His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because uh, he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge and the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressor. Now, Isaiah describes for us, if you will, exactly what Jesus went through, how that he took the sins of the whole world upon, upon himself and, and, and gave himself for you and for me and, and, and for all of those that have ever lived. Jesus Christ died for every one of them. He, he bore that agony. He bore that shame. I mean, to think to be taken out of a city and, and hung naked upon a cross and to be brutalized as he was brutalized uh, in the scourging leading up to the crucifixion and then to hang on that cross the balance of the day and, and, and to suffer all that he suffered. Indeed, he is a man who is acquainted with sorrow. So much so that the writer of Hebrews would say this about him in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, For we do not have a high priest who can, cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we re may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now Jesus endured it all. He, he suffered it all so that regardless of what we go through, He can have sympathy for us. He can have compassion for us. He can come and wrap us in his arms, spiritually speaking, and, say, and whisper into our ear and say, I understand what you're experiencing. I understand the hurt, the loneliness, the despair uh, that you're going through. I understand all of that. I, I, I sympathize with you. 
And we need to understand that oftentimes we suffer the trials that we suffer so that we in turn can sympathize with other people. My brother-in-law is going through cancer, cancer treatment right now. He's been really, really sick the last three or four days from the chemotherapy. I, I can have compassion for that, but I can't have sympathy for that because I've never experienced that. Now, I can have sympathy and compassion for Brother AC because I've had a kidney stone. And if you've had heart bypass surgery, you know I can, I can sympathize and, and have compassion with you on that. If you've ever had knee replacement, I I'm with you on that. I know what that's like. But there's so many things that I've never experienced that I hear people going through and I feel sorry for them and I hurt for them, but but not to the degree that you might if you've experienced that same thing. Thank God I've never lost a child or a grandchild. Some of you have. Thank God I still have my spouse with me today. And unlike Paula, I appreciate my spouse. But in Paula's defense, if you've lost your husband, she lost her first husband and she could sympathize with you today. You see, we go through things sometimes and we don't understand why we go through them, but God can take even the worst things in our life and and turn those around if we will allow Him to do so. If we keep the right spirit and the right mind, the right heart, the right attitude, He can take those things, those terrible things in our life and use us as an instrument, as a vessel to encourage and help other people. The third thing that I would mention to you today is this, is that trials make us homesick for heaven. Trials make us homesick for heaven. You know, if everything was hunky-dory here, it was good all the time, we were never sick, never injured, you know, everything was good in life, we, we you know, talking about he- heaven might not seem to be such a big deal. I never will forget my mom. My mom suffered from an extremely rare brain disorder. The, the neurologist told us that at any given time in the United States, there would be less than 20 people in the whole United States that would suffer from what my mom suffered from. She had cordal gate, cordal basal ganglionic degeneration. I had to think for a second how to pronounce all that. Just a real rare brain disease. It's in the Parkinson family of diseases, but it's not Parkinson's disease. And, 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 and my mom eventually became totally... Uh, Bedfast. She could move her left leg and her left arm uh, some, and that was it. And she was totally nonverbal. And, and before my mom got to where she couldn't talk at all, she, she, you would go over there and she would say, Home, home. And, and my stepfather didn't have a lot, of, a lot of patience, and he'd say, Pauline, you are home. And I would tell her the same thing. I said, Mom, you have lived in this house since August of 1954. I was eight months old when they moved in that house. I said, you are home. But visit after visit, time after time, over a period of a couple, three months, every time you go over there, it's the only thing Mom would say, well, home, home. And she and I were sitting in the front room of their home in their house one day, and that was before she became completely bedridden. She was, I think she was in a, in a wheelchair, seldom had her in a wheelchair, and, and he was somewhere else in the house or outside doing something or something, and, and she started saying that home, and it finally clicked with me, and I don't know why it took me so long, but the light bulb finally come on. And I said, Mom, you're talking about you want to go to home to heaven, don't you? And immediately, just like you turned a spigot on tears, just started streaming down her face, and she started crying. And I started crying with her. Because I realized that she was tired of being trapped 
in that body that wouldn't respond. She was tired of being confined to that wheelchair or that bed, and she knew that she had lived her life for Christ, and God had something better for her. And she wanted to go home to be with the Lord. You know, we read about these characters in the Bible, and, and I oftentimes, I, I know Brother Chris made mention of this, I believe it was a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, sometimes you try to put yourself in their place, and you wonder what it would have been like to have been in, in, in that situation at that time and, and to try to better understand what these people were thinking when they were writing some of the things that we read in the Scriptures. And I think about the Apostle Paul, and, 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 and we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, as he's writing to young Timothy, Paul writes to him in that verse and says that, that he had suffered hardship in prison as if he was a criminal. And we know that there wasn't a more godly man that ever graced the face of the earth than the Apostle Paul. There wasn't a more honest man, a more loving man, a more caring man than the Apostle Paul. And yet he says, here I am, Timothy, in prison as if I were a criminal. But then we come down to chapter 4. And if you would look with me, I think Jess will put that up for us in chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Paul is writing to young Timothy and he's saying, he says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought, my, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, or excuse me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me also, but all, to all those who have loved his appearing. The Apostle Paul realized that, that God had something better in store for him. The Apostle Paul realized that there was something better for him out there in the future. And he had a longing in his heart to go and see it. He had a, a longing in his heart to go and to lay claim to it, to claim it as his very own. He, he was looking forward to that. He had lived this in this world. He, he had seen both good and bad. He, he, had, he had lived on the mountaintop of, uh, of ecstatic ecstasy and he had been in, in the bowels of the greatest, deepest despair known to man. And he was ready to say goodbye to that and to go to what the Lord had prepared for him in heaven. I don't know about you, but the older that I get the more appealing that is to me. We were blessed, Lynn and I were blessed, and you all, most of you all know this, we were blessed to have pastored four churches over nearly 37 years. And we were talking the other day, we were driving somewhere, and we were talking about our, our church in North Carolina. Of all the places that we've ever lived, I, I personally like that place the best. Even here, I, I like living in North Carolina. The weather was really nice, you know, you didn't... Yeah, it's hot in the summer, but, but you had air conditioning, you know, and, it, and the winters weren't as harsh as ours is, although ours is, I don't know, it's supposed to be 60 and sunny tomorrow, so that's not too bad. But, but, but from what we had grown up with as kids, you know how, how it was in those days. And I, I just liked it down there. I liked the people down there. I liked the seafood down there and the sweet tea. And I just liked a lot of, a lot of things about that. And we were, we were, I had to get food in. You know, I got to get food in almost every sermon. And, and, and we got to talking about all the different ones that were at the church when we went there. In, in March of 1984, how many of those have died? As a matter of fact, there's just a handful of that original 64, 65 people that were there. There's only just a handful of those that are still living. And that would be true of Franklin Furnace. That would be true of Alliance. 
And I think of all those, I was talking to Don Sarl one day, and I said, Don, do you realize I've buried 64 people out of this church, and I've buried about 14 or 15 since I've retired out of the Mid Station Church? And that's people that were active in this church. And I get to thinking about those kinds of numbers, and I think, you know, it is true. And I've heard older people say this, older than me, that there's more people on the other side that they know and love than there is maybe on this side now. And so there's that longing, that desire that our trials create in us to desire a better place and to not become content with this place. Now, no one goes looking for trials to face in their life. But on the other hand, we realize that, that trials are an inescapable part of life. We can't avoid them. We can't live our lives without them. In any time that we are faced with a, with a trial, we need to understand that, that we do not suffer alone, that God is with us. Therefore, we need to seek His face and, and follow His guidance and ask Him to help us and to show us, to plot the, the course, to, to lay the path for us to walk, to, to walk through that trial and to get through that trial. Secondly, we need to realize that there's a lesson to be learned from our trial if only we'll look for one. And I learned as my life went on, as, as I became, I guess, a little more mature in my faith, and I can remember on different occasions specifically praying this prayer, God, there has to be a lesson here for me. I'm not seeing it right now. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But help me not to go through this trial and not learn the lesson that I need to learn. And we don't have time. I could tell you several stories today about some of those lessons that I've learned, but but God will help us to learn a lesson from our trials if we'll ask him. The third thing that I would remind you is, again, that, that oftentimes we may be going through a trial so that we can help someone else. Of, of all the preachers that I've ever heard, I would have to put this brother in the top five, and that was O.L. Johnson. He pastored for many years in Akron, Indiana, and then left Akron, Indiana, and pastored for many years in Springfield, Ohio, and we had Brother Johnson come two different times and hold week-long revivals for us in North Carolina. My people loved that man. I mean, we, had, we never had anybody, and I had some of the best of the best in those days come and hold us revivals, and we never had anybody that could draw a crowd like O.L. Johnson. As a matter of fact, we oftentimes would have more on a weekday night than we had on Sunday morning because people would invite people to come, and if they came and heard him, they would invite people to come. And it was almost like a camp meeting. It really was when we'd have Brother Johnson come. And Brother Johnson told me a story one of those times when he was there. And he said that he, he was sick. He said I, to the point he had to be hospitalized. And I forget how old he was, but he said, I had never been in a hospital. I don't even think he was born in a hospital. I think he was born at home, you know, back years ago. And, 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 and he said, I'd never been sick. He said, I'd visit the hospital thousands of times, but I'd never been a patient one myself. And I found myself in, a, in the hospital. He said, I was on a pity party. He said, God, why am I in here? I, you know, I don't have time to be in here, you know. And, and he said, I don't want to be in here. And why am I in here? Why am I in here? And he said he, he had a pity party for two or three days. And he said, it, again, it was almost as if God spoke to him. And he said, he said, well, why are you here? You know, you could be talking to your doctors and your nurses and the people in housekeeping and that sort of thing. And, and so he began to do that. And he found out, I think it was one of the nurses or maybe one of the housekeeping ladies because they were going through a really bad time at that time. And, and he was able to counsel them over two or three days and, and talk to them and encourage them. 
and, and to put their faith in, in Christ. And then, and then he, was, he was in a, in a, in a semi-private room and, and one of the people they put in the room with him, he, he struck up a conversation with this gentleman and, 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 and he began to try to minister to that guy. And he said, you know, by the time I left the hospital, I didn't feel nearly as bad about being stuck in the hospital because I realized that even though I didn't want to be there, God could even use me laying on a sickbed in the hospital to be a blessing to other people. And the final thing that we would just remind you of very quickly is this, is that, that for a Christian, no trial lasts forever. Have you ever thought about that? No trial lasts forever. Even should you die, it'll be ultimately over at that point. And you'll reap your reward. And you'll be in a place where there'll be no more trials. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no tears. There'll be no weeping. There'll be no death. There'll be no sickness, no anguish, no jails, no police, no armies, none of that stuff. No political ads. I mean, that in itself is enough to want to go to heaven for. No Trump or Biden or whoever, you know. All of that will be behind us. So I wonder this morning, my friends, as we get ready to sing a hymn of response or a song of response. If you have a need, if you're going through a trial today, maybe you just need to come and pray. And just be honest with God. You don't need to sugarcoat anything with God. You know, I used to tell people when, when, when they lose a, a loved one, a spouse or a child or, or a parent or something, and, and I've had people, I had a lady one time at this church years ago tell me, said, I just want to go outside and scream to the top of my lungs. I hurt so bad. I said, well, go out and scream. And she just looked at me so astounded. I said, God knows how you feel. And if you feel that way, just go out there and scream to your heart's content. If that's what it takes to get this off you, to get this pressure out of you, just go and scream to the top of your lungs. God knows what you're going through. And if you're in a situation right now today and, and you say, God, I don't understand this. And that dumb preacher up there is telling me there's a lesson to be learned. I don't see how, but there is, my friends. And if you'll just come and ask him, be honest with him and say, Lord, I don't see it now, but can you help me to see what good can come out of this? And most of all, will you just take me by the hand or will you allow me to take your hand and will you walk through this trial with me? And my friends, I want to tell you, God will walk with you even to death's door, if that's where this trial would be leading you. And he'll never miss a step with you. He'll never let go of your hand. He'll never give you the, the idea that, that you're a bother or that you're a nuisance or that you're a problem or he's got better things to do. He's there for you today if you'll trust him. Let's, let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this congregation of people. We we love these folks, Lord, and we, we know that there's people here today without any question. This many people, there's somebody, probably several people here today that are going through some kind of a trial in their life. I, I, have, I have no idea who that is. I have no idea what they're going through. But God, you know. And I pray that you'll help them to know that you know. That they would just be honest with you. And if there's a need, that they would come forward and say, Lord, I'm hurting today. I'm at my wit's end. I'm I'm to the knot at the end of the rope and I need help. God, would you speak to their hearts today? And would you just wrap them in your arms of love and maybe before they leave here today, know that somehow, someway, you're going to work this all out and that the sun will shine in their life once again, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.